Blog Talk Radio. As a matter of fact, it's the only project that uh, the RWVA is running. And uh, the Revolutionary War Veterans Association is not uh, some group of guys prancing around in frilly shirts and and yelling out top of the morning and stuff like that. There's some good groups that do that. Uh, What the Revolutionary War Veterans Association does is teach the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program available to Americans today. The absolute best. We uh, 
we have gotten really, really good at what we do. And uh, through a lot of hard work, uh, our instructors have become some of the best instructors uh, out there. Uh, the Revolutionary War Veterans Association is a nationwide, all-volunteer, grassroots program that's a not-for-profit not organization. And everybody involved in the program is a volunteer. Everybody involved in the program is donating their time, their effort, their passion in order to push the program forward because the program is a help to the nation. We teach the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today, and at the same time, we also talk to folks about their history, about their heritage, about the events of April 19, 1775, what happened on that date, why it happened. We talk about the the men and women who were the founders of this nation and what their vision for this nation was. And uh, sometimes we'll talk about where where the nation has ended up today. Now, we don't do any politics. Uh, as, uh, uh, any politics is, that are any newer than uh, – 1775 to 17 uh, to 1783. We don't do any anything newer than that. We don't do any training, as far as training implying that we're we're teaching you something to, to use at a later date. What we're doing is we're giving you the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. We're teaching you the things that you're going to need to know, regardless of where your uh, rifle marksmanship path is taking you. That means that. Uh, if you are a skilled uh, bench rest shooter and you come to an event, you're going to get something out of this. If you are a person that uh, has never shot before and you're wondering how am I going to how am I going to figure out how to get started in shooting, then this is also uh, the program for you because uh, we're we're absolutely uh, fantastic at getting folks started in shooting. Uh we've done uh, we've done it uh we've done it quite a bit. I'm typing here so that's why you'll hear me starting to stutter sometimes because I don't do real well on uh typing and talking. <clears throat> anyway, we've uh we've worked really hard at at getting the program tweaked so that we can take folks who uh, have been away from shooting for a long time or who have never shot before and that we can bring them into the shooting sports. And like I said, we do an absolutely fantastic job of it because that's what we've worked really hard at doing, and that is where so many of the folks involved in the program came from. Yeah, we've got a lot of folks who uh, are military or professional shooting in some fashion, competition, law enforcement, uh, et cetera. And uh, they make some of our best instructors. But at the same time, we have a large group of folks who who had not shot before their involvement with Appleseed. They got started with the program. We taught them how to shoot from the very beginning. And because of their experience with Appleseed, it caused them to uh, – it really enhanced their love of the shooting sports, and they have gone on to become instructors. And some of them 
have become some of the best instructors we have because because they have an unbroken line of not having had any experience with shooting, coming into the program, uh, learning to shoot using uh, the skills and techniques that Appleseed gives you on a two-day shoot marksmanship event, and then continuing to expand on that. So what they brought with them is their most recent experience of not being able to shoot and combine that with the skills and techniques that have been given to them and then working on those and honing those uh, until they've mastered them, and, which makes them a very good instructor and able to understand the uh, where folks who are brand new at shooting, understanding where they're coming from when they arrive at events. And yes, uh, at a typical event, you'll get folks who, uh, uh, who, when you ask them what their shooting experience is, they'll tell you, well, you know, I've been shooting for the Army competitive team for 20 years or 30 years, or I'm a bench rest shooter, or I'm a uh, I'm an avid hunter, uh, or they'll say I've never shot a day before in my life. Matter of fact, I didn't haven't even opened the box with a rifle in it yet. I just stopped at uh, Walmart or Academy on the way and I bought it. And that's the folks you're going to find in Appleseed. And like I said, every single one of those folks are going to learn something. They're going to benefit from attending a two-day Appleseed rifle marksmanship event. As I said, we're a nonprofit organization, and uh, and every weekend across the nation, there's an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event within reasonable driving distance of you, no matter where you are. Uh, if you're off in the boonies somewhere, then then I don't have to explain to you. You understand perfectly well that a reasonable driving distance is going to be quite a quite a distance. Uh, for folks out in West Texas, a reasonable driving distance to them for to going out to eat at night might be 150 miles because that might be the nearest uh, fine dining establishment. So that to them, that's a reasonable driving distance. It's the same thing with Appleseed. Uh, Appleseed is a fine shooting experience. And every weekend across the nation, within reasonable driving distance to you, is going to be an Appleseed event. So how do you find them? How do you uh, figure out where you're going to go, where you can get to the nearest Appleseed event? You'll go to rwva.org. That's our homepage, rwva.org. When you're, once you're on that page, you'll see a list of tabs across the top. Put your cursor on the Appleseed tab, and you'll get a drop-down schedule. Uh, on the drop-down, well, you'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, click on Schedule, and that'll take you to a page that has uh, a map of the United States on it. Look on that map. You can put your cursor on the map of the state where you wish to attend an event, and then click on it, and it'll bring up the events in that state, the upcoming events. <clears throat> if you want to see the events listed all across the nation. Uh, if you're in uh, in one of the uh, the mid-range to smaller sized states, it may be quicker to go to uh, an event in a neighboring state. So if you want to do that, there's a hot link in the text above the map of the United States. You click on that link, and it will give you a listing of all of the events that are occurring in the United States. and uh, And that's quite a few. Uh, they'll be listed by in alphabetical order, uh, by weekends and by dates. <clears throat> so once you have decided that uh, 
that apple seed might be the thing for you, and you decided that you you want to attend an event, go ahead and go to uh, rwva.org. Uh, click on schedule out of the uh, drop-down menu you'll get from putting your cursor on Appleseed. And then look at the event that you want to go to and go ahead and uh, get registered for it. And here's what you can do. Once you've found a location and a date, there's going to be two hot links to the right of that. One says information. That's all the information that you'll need uh, in order to make it to the event. It'll give you the directions, uh, varied information on uh, who to contact, uh, the maybe local uh, laws, etc. Sometimes they'll list uh, local hotels, restaurants, etc. But at the very least, they'll give you directions on how to get to the place and then a, the name of a contact person that you can call for more information, call or email for more information about that event. All right? Right under that is another hot link that says register. And uh, once you've uh, located the event that you want to attend, go ahead and register. All right? <clears throat> Don't think about going. Go. Click on register. Commit yourself to it. Make that scary decision to go ahead and make a commitment to an event. And click on it and get pre-registered for it. Now, uh, we're pretty easy going at Appleseed. So if you click on the the registration event, you get registered for that event for that weekend. And say something happens, you can't make it to that event for some reason. In almost every case, we'll be glad to switch uh, your registration to uh, another location on another date, et cetera, right? And uh, if we can't, if you need to get a refund, then uh, you can contact the admin folks. And on most cases, uh, they'll give you a refund. Uh, so, And if you have any problems, be sure and contact me. You can contact me uh, at any time if you have any problems with that, and I'll try and get you fixed up. All right, uh, and what is the price of going to an event? Well, for most folks, it's going to be uh, 70 bucks for two days. That's for both days, all your supplies and a T-shirt. And uh, that is really uh, a bargain basement cost. Like I said, we're a nonprofit organization. We're not trying to make money. It would be good if we did because the more money you have, the more you can spend on uh, uh, promoting events, uh, on getting equipment to give to the instructors, etc. But we're not that interested in making money. What we're interested in is making riflemen, spreading the message. That's why uh, the $70 price has stayed the same since we started. That's for the folks uh, that are going to pay the full price. Now, there's a lot of folks who aren't going to pay the full price. Uh, there are some folks that we've decided that we want to give the instruction to at either reduced cost or at uh, no charge because of the things that they do for us. That includes active duty guard and reserve members. Those folks are going to go to Appleseed at no charge, all right, because uh, they're part of the group of folks who are helping to defend the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords us. If you are a law enforcement officer, then you're going to attend at no charge. <clears throat> if you uh, if you come in Revolutionary War veterans' clothing, uh, dressed as a Revolutionary War member, then uh, that is still a free uh, admission also. For reduced prices, for women, the cost is only $10.00. 
Now that's uh, 60 bucks off of the $70 charge. Now the $70 charge, as I said, is already a reduced charge. Normally for a, a two-day uh, shooting event of this type, it's going to run you between uh, 250 to $500. And uh, paying 70 for it is a great deal. Paying 10 is even better. For children, and that is uh that are that's folks under twenty one, the charge is five dollars. <clears throat> we want to make it as easy as possible for you to come and to bring your family too. So if you want to uh come to a shooting event and bring your family, uh if you're not in a free category, then you're gonna pay seventy bucks for you, ten dollars for your wife, and then five dollars for the kids. So it's gonna be very affordable. Now I will mention to make sure that you read the information link for the event you're attending because uh, in many cases there will be an additional fee that the range that we're using charges. There's nothing we can do about that. We're going to, have to the range fees will will have to be tacked on to what you're paying. So check out the information page for the event that you're attending in order to make sure that you have the the full list of prices. All right. Even with the range fees, even at the full price of seventy dollars, you're still getting a deal. And uh, how do I know this? Because uh, I've been to quite a few Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship events. And it, the event itself is uh, is just an amazing, uh, it's an amazing event. And you're going to learn a tremendous amount about shooting. You're going to learn a great deal about history. But most of all, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. How do you act? Uh, how do you act on the line? How does your acting affect your shooting? Uh, how do you shoot when uh, you're fresh and perky-eyed in the morning? How do you shoot uh, when you're getting ready for when you're thirsty? When you're getting ready for lunch? How do you shoot at two uh, thirty in the afternoon when you're you're feeling that uh, two to three o'clock sluggishness, uh, and it's hot, or it's cold, or it's raining and cold, or raining and hot. How do you act? What do you do? And how does that affect your shooting? Most of the times, when you guys get ready to go shooting, you don't uh, you don't pick a day when there's a an eighty percent chance range and say, listen. How about this? You and your buddy. You're talking to your buddy. You say, listen, how about this? Let's you and me go to the range. Yeah, I know it's probably going to rain. But listen, even if it does, let's stay and let's shoot. Let's lay down in the mud. Let's shoot through the rain. Let's keep shooting. Let's see how our rifles do. Let's see how we do. Let's see what happens when our action gets full of water. Let's see what happens when we've shot uh, 200 rounds and we've got a dirty, wet rifle and... uh and you drop it in the mud, some mud splashes in it. How does it shoot then? And more importantly, how do you do? What do you do? What's your attitude about this? Are you whining about it? Are you just, woe is me because there's mud and rain? Or are you rising above that and you're saying, look, nothing's going to get me down. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to enter my rifleman's bubble. The only thing I'm going to think about is the next shot and how this is going to benefit me, my community, my nation, the only thing I'm going to think about right now during this course of fire is the next shot, myself, my rifle, and the target. How are you going to do? 
during these two days? How are you going to act? Whatever your shooting doesn't meet up to your expectations, if you came there thinking that you were a really, really good shot, you shoot the red coat target, and it turns out you're not even a 100-yard shooter, how do you react? Do you throw a fit? Do you throw your rifle down in the mud and start cursing at folks because it's obviously their fault because in your mind you are an excellent shooter. In your mind you are doing everything right. And uh, are you going to yell at everybody there and then stomp off? Are you the kind of person that says, you know what, I probably don't know as much as I thought I did and I better... I better open my ears and listen because I'm here to learn. Are you the kind of person that uh, when you're getting uh, instruction in something, like uh, seeing sling use, are you the kind of person that says, you know what, I, you know the sling thing, I don't even really want to hear about that because I don't use a sling, blah, 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 blah. Or are you the kind of person that says, you know what, uh, maybe this isn't the way I usually shoot. But I'm going to listen today because, you know what, I could shoot the way I shoot at home uh, for free. But today, I'm going to put on my listening ears, and I'm going to listen about sling use, and I'm going to try it, and I'm going to see if it works. I want to give these guys the benefit of a doubt that have been doing this for quite a while and getting fantastic results. I'm going to give them the benefit of a doubt. I think they might actually know what they're talking about. I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to implement it. I'm going to see if it works for me. Because if it doesn't, guess what? I can also always take the string off and go start a little fire and lay the sling on top of the fire and burn it. If it doesn't work, why not? Or I can listen to what they're saying. I can uh, put on a loop sling or I can uh, rig a hasty sling in the correct fashion and improve my shooting uh, tremendously. So it lets you know about uh, a lot about who you are, uh, how you handle things. If it is 11.45 and uh, and you're used to an 11.50 lunch every day and uh, the shoe boss has decided to tack up another AQT and run through it, which is about 40 minutes, do you immediately start uh, seeing red and uh, and start thinking about ways that you can get revenge on the shoe boss because... Your meal is going to come 30 minutes late. Are you the kind of guy that says, hey, I wasn't even thinking about lunch. You know, yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, I need to go to the bathroom. But you know what? I'm ready to shoot this AQT, and I'm going to shoot it right now. I'm going to shoot it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to get an improvement on my scores. So most of all, what I think about when I go to an event is how I'm going to improve. How I'm going to improve. I don't get to shoot a lot, so what I work on as an instructor is how am I going to become a better instructor? How am I going to tell this uh, one of the folks that are attending? How am I going to tell them about uh, building a stable shooting position or? Uh, Explain the six steps to them in a better way, in a better way that they'll understand it. And uh, and the best way to do that, of course, as if you're a shoot boss, if you're in any kind of instructor, 
is to make sure that you are where the instruction is going on. That means that whenever somebody's giving instruction, you're not uh, you're not walking out to your car to get a drink. You're not uh, talking to one of the other instructors somewhere. You are right there. You're listening to that instructor because guess what I've found out on the trail? That some of the best ideas I get, some of the best ways to reach other uh, to reach the folks who are attending, is by listening to the instructors who are there giving their instruction. And uh, it can be from an IT1. It could be from an IT0 that's giving instruction. That's where I might learn the best nugget of information I'm going to get that whole weekend. I always make sure I'm where the instruction is going on. I always make sure I'm listening because I'm going to be there ready to steal uh, whatever whatever techniques I can from any of the instructors that are giving them. It's one of the things I love about traveling to different locations and listening to different instructors because everybody always has their own uh, their own way of doing a show. They've got their own take on the instruction, and uh, you keep listening to different ways, and you're going to find out. You're going to find the best way for you to give your show, for you to do your show by listening to all these folks. So when I'm at an event, I'm always trying to figure out how I can be the best instructor I can be how I can make sure that I'm giving the instruction in the best possible fashion, the most understandable way, and that I'm looking at the uh, the folks that are attending and figuring out the best way to meet their needs. How can I, how's the best way for, for me to meet this person's needs? Uh, is it by getting down on the ground right beside them and watching to make sure that their eyes are open when they're shooting, that they're not blinking, that they're not dragging wood or yanking the trigger, uh, is it for me standing above them and watching and make sure that during the course of fire, that when they're shooting, that I've seen that they're at their respiratory pause. That means that their their uh, uh, diaphragm is not expanding or contracting, that it's at a still point when they're making the shot. So that I know that they're not breathing through the shot. How's the best way for me to give IMC? Uh, is And usually I find it starting from explaining it from the known to the unknown. Starting at the things that they know. Start in a circle and use the circle to give you the the path to lead you to the unknown, to the folks, the stuff that they don't know. Everybody knows about a circle, but they don't know about some of the stuff you're getting ready to tell them. So you're starting at the known, teaching from the known to the unknown, and you're making sure that they understand that IMC is just a translation problem, no different than the Rosetta Stone. Uh, anything like that, because all you're doing is transferring uh, from one language to another to another. You're trying to make them understand uh, that first you have to take inches, translate it into minutes, and then they use those minutes to put clicks on their rifle. So it's just a simple translation problem. That's what we need to be doing when we're at the, at the events. If you're a shooter, you're figuring out, okay, figuring out how to be the best possible person, the best possible shooter you can be. If you're an instructor there, you're still trying to be the best possible person you can be, but you're worried. You're more worried on figuring out how you can be the best possible instructor you can be. And sometimes that might just mean that you're going to stand there with your mouth shut, that you're not going to try and add on to somebody else's instruction because there's only so much that somebody can... Uh, that somebody can grasp 
in the time allotted. That means that uh, if somebody has already given them the, the 100 words, which is all that their mind is going to accept at that point, every word that you say after that pushes out uh, part of the first 100 words that were spoken. So sometimes, unless the person is saying something that's a safety risk or safety violation, that you just stand there and let it go. You don't say anything because because there's a good chance that they may have understood what that instructor was saying, and there's a good chance that they don't need you. Uh, they don't need any more instruction. So sometimes just uh, letting the instruction that's been given, let it lie and not saying anything, that's good enough. <clears throat> so that's what an apple seed really is about. I've told you guys before that uh, that from the instructor's side, you know, when you look at an apple seed event, the first thing you think about is you say, well, honestly, the apple seeds are about shooting, right? They're about shooting. Everybody's got rifles, ammunition, and where to range. So, therefore, apple seed is about shooting. Uh, a, uh, if A, then B. A, therefore B. And then after a little while at it, you realize, you say, you know what? Appleseed really isn't about the shooting. You know, we really could be giving this instruction with some other sports or some other thing. So what it's really about is the history. It's about the history, about the heritage. Then if you stay with the program long enough, if you don't get diverted by any uh, petty squabbles or, or ego, what you'll finally come to realize is that the program is really about becoming the best person you can be. And sometimes that's a bit of a shocker, and sometimes it's uh, uh, it's hard to grasp that. But at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about becoming the best person you can be, the best the best husband, the best father, uh, the best home provider, the the best American that you can be. And that's what we're trying to do, one person at a time, one event at a time. And and I think that we're doing a good job of it. I think that we're getting the job done. <clears throat> All right. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, – I'm going to give you the – the locations here in just a second uh, for the upcoming events because I, I like to do that because uh, sometimes folks that are listening, uh, even though I've told you how to get there, sometimes folks, uh, if you let them know that there's a an event going on right in their backyard, they're they're more likely to bite on it like a fish on a hook uh, than not. So I'm going to read that in just a second, but before I do that, I want to make sure that. Uh, that if any of you guys have any, uh, if you have any th- folks that you would like to uh, uh, to call in and mention on the air, then I'd like you to do that. And that is, uh, um, if you'd like to talk about a shoot boss uh, in your area, just made shoot boss or did a great job or he's doing a great job continually. If you have somebody that has just um, passed there. Uh, IIT one, two, three, four PCs, or they've been made a full instructor, or somebody who's just shot the rifle in standards, uh, or any of the folks in Apple Corps or admin who have been doing a great job. 
then please call in to let us know. That's one of the things that we want to do on the show. That's 347 347-308-8790. And also, if you have a commercial or nonprofit venture that you have running or that you're starting out, then uh, we want to hear about that, too. And uh, and for the folks at Blog Talk, no, I'm not charging for this. I'm not making any money on it. I'm just doing it as part of the service of the radio show for free to the guys. So uh, if you have uh, any information that you'd like to get out tonight on the air, then we're always welcome to uh, – you're always welcome to call into the show. We're always glad to have you. So 347-308-8790 is the number. All right, I'm going to give you the uh, quick run-through of the uh, upcoming events. Let me see first that uh, we just finished up with the Appleseed here in Troop, New York. I'm in New York tonight, and uh, I guess I should have started uh, the show out with, live from New York, it's the Rifleman Show. Because I'm in central New York tonight, and I love being up here at this time of the year because... Uh, back in Texas, it's running 107 degrees, and uh, it's toasty. I mean toasty. Uh, I believe I told you guys before that uh, our air conditioner is set on uh, between 85 and 87 degrees, and it runs constantly. And uh, we don't, I don't set it any lower because I'm going to have to work in it the next day, so I can't do uh, eight hours in 70 degrees and then... Uh, and then go out the next day in a 35-degree rise in temperature. <clears throat> so we keep it at uh, 85 to 87 degrees, and it runs continuously. Here in New York, where nobody has air conditioners, uh, tonight there's supposed to be a low of 59 degrees. And uh, our weather for the apple seed this last weekend was uh, uh, from the low 70s, 71, 72 in the morning, uh, to about 85 degrees uh, at the hottest part of the day. So it was certainly a pleasure. At the hottest part of the day here, I felt like I was indoors in the air conditioning. So I'm I'm very pleased to be here. At the same time, New York is one of my favorite uh, states. They've got a tremendously uh, professional, hardworking crew, and I love to work with those guys. And uh, And... It's kind of like old home week uh, for me here because uh, New York is one of the states that I started in when I first started uh, doing Appleseed. We come up every year to visit my wife's folks up here. So I was already coming here long before Appleseed, and I was already shooting over to the troop range before Appleseed. And then uh, uh, back in 2007, I guess we figured that uh, since we're already here, we're already doing it, let's... Let's have an an event and uh, and met some of the the best folks that New York has to offer. I'm not going to try and give a full rundown of everybody because uh, because I'll I'll certainly leave a tremendous amount of folks out. But I will uh, mention uh, Mark ADOM on the forum, who's the state coordinator, Ed B9, and uh, Josie Wells, uh, Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Stoner. Uh, and then a whole long list of Appleseed <clears throat> instructors here in New York who do an absolutely fantastic job. I've been to a lot of the uh, New York Appleseeds, and I'm always extremely satisfied 
by the professionalism of the New York folks. And if you look on the forum, you'll see that uh, the New York folks also stay out of all the all the brawls there too, and uh, and that's another great attribute of them. Uh, but well, once again, I'm here in New York with the New York folks. I'm looking forward to uh, some great events that are upcoming. And with that, I'll go ahead and get to the uh, to the list of upcoming events. All right, the coming weekend is the 16th and 17th. But in Manhattan, there is an event that will be on the uh, July 15th and 16th. That's Friday and Saturday. Manhattan, New York. And I believe that one's run by uh, K-Dan. So there will be uh, a uh, Manhattan, New York apple seed. I believe that's the first one ever. There was an event uh, in Long Island that was running for a while. I don't know if it still is or not. But there was an event uh, running out in Long Island because I remember there was a shooter out there named Spider. Uh, and uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know if, if any of the New York guys are listening tonight. And... Uh, let me know if the if the Long Island event is still up, but uh, this will be the the first event I believe for Manhattan. All right, starting off the weekend of July 16th and 17th is Albuquerque, New Mexico, followed by Alton, Illinois, Augusta, Georgia, Bonfield, Illinois, Buckingham, Virginia, Byers, Colorado, Enfield, New Hampshire, Evansville, Indiana, Fountain, Colorado, Hinkley, Minnesota, Hubertus. Wisconsin is listed as 1616 here on the schedule. Now, it doesn't say one day only, so I don't know if that's a glitch or not. Uh, if the Wisconsin folks will take a look at that and make sure that it's not a glitch, then that would be a Saturday-only event, uh, one-day event. If it's a regular weekend, <clears throat> then make sure that the uh, uh, the folks doing the scheduling, make sure they change that. All right, Layton, Massachusetts is also the weekend of the 16th and 17th, as is Mannheim, Pennsylvania, New Bremen, New York, Pequa, Ohio, Proctor, Vermont, and Proctor, Vermont is this coming weekend. And Proctor is an absolutely uh, fantastic venue. It's beautiful. Uh, it's in Vermont, and uh, it's on a military reservation. So as you're shooting there, you'll be serenaded throughout the day and the night uh, by the lovely ballads of 50 calibers, uh, rapid-fire M203s, uh, saws, uh, everything you can imagine. And uh, it also has the ability uh, to shoot out to actual distances of, I believe, 600 uh, meters and has a good active pit and has a great pit uh, system to shoot from. So <clears throat> Proctor, Vermont, July 16th and 17th. The same weekend, Rosebud, Rosebud, uh, Rosebud, Missouri, Sacramento, California, Salem, West Virginia, San Angelo, Texas, Springfield, Oregon. Worcester, Ohio, Harvard, Massachusetts, says July 17-17. So if any of the uh, Massachusetts folks are listening, then uh, if you can uh, 
check and make sure that that is uh, actually a one-day event on Sunday or if that's a glitch also. Uh, Bowler, Wisconsin is Tuesday and Wednesday, July 19th and 20th. All right. I don't know exactly how that runs, but they've got it set up on the Tuesday and Wednesday in Bowler, Wisconsin. All right, that uh, brings us to the weekend of the 23rd and 24th. That starts out in Cloverdale, Indiana, Corsicle, California, Colfax, Wisconsin, Corona, California, Crittenden, Kentucky, July 23rd. Uh, that is a one-day event on Saturday, July 23rd. And that's open to previous attendees only, folks that have already been to an Appleseed event. All right, the weekend of 23rd and 24th continues with Davila, Texas. And uh, I won't be there. I'll still be in New York. Uh, so uh, good Lord, watch and uh, and keep safe and cool those uh, the folks that are running it there and all the rest of the folks that attend. Uh, I hope it will be a great event. That same weekend, 23rd and 24th, Gibsonburg, Ohio, Glen Helen, California, Grand Island, Nebraska, Gunnison, Colorado, Hutchinson, Kansas, Lake George, New York. Uh, that's going to be the first at that location also, Lake George, New York. I'm going to try and make that one. It's a uh, it's a beautiful location. And, um, you know, I was asking for a long time for the folks, for Josie Wales and the rest of the New York folks to get a uh, – a location in the Adirondacks because they're absolutely beautiful there. And they've ended up with Lake George and another one uh, that I'll get to in just a minute. That same weekend of the 23rd and 24th is Lewiston, Idaho, Lodi, Wisconsin, Montrose, Iowa, Mayaka City, Florida, New Martinsville, West Virginia, New Philadelphia, Ohio, Ottawa, Illinois. This will be the Second weekend of a two-weekend event on the 23rd. The 23rd. It says the 23rd and 23rd. Uh, so if that is not the case, if you the Illinois folks will take a look at the schedule and have them tweak it. Otherwise, it's uh, listing it as a Saturday, July 23rd event. Uh, for the weekend of the 23rd and 24th, continues with Pittsburgh, Kansas, Riley, Indiana, Sherburne, Louisiana, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, Chugiak, Alaska, Chugiak, Alaska begins on the Thursday and Friday of July 28th and 29th, Chugiak, Alaska, that's the military only portion of the event. There'll be a four-day event there, 28th, 29th, 30th, and 31st. The 28th and 29th, which is Thursday and Friday, is the uh, is open for the military participants. Okay, we're going to come to the rest of it in just a second. Uh, the regular weekend starts on the 30th and 31st, Saturday and Sunday, 30th and 31st. That begins in Audubon, Pennsylvania, Bellevue, Missouri, Brunel, Florida, Calverton, New York, Charlotte, North Carolina. Chugiak, Alaska, the public section, uh, is July 30th and 31st. Now, and looking at the site, I believe that it's sold out. I believe that it's already sold out at 61-plus uh, folks attending. 
All right. So that's a big weekend up there. You'll have uh I don't know how many of the military are scheduled to attend yet, but you're going to have 61 folks on the line uh for the civilian portion of the shoot on the 30th and 31st. Colebrook, Connecticut on the 30th and 31st, as is Columbia, Maine, Dulzura, California, Edgewood, New Mexico, Guilford, Connecticut, Hernando County, Florida, Knob Creek, Kentucky, Manchester, Tennessee, Medical Lake, Wisconsin, Napanee, Indiana, Palmerton, Pennsylvania, Puryear, Tennessee, Rama, Colorado, San Luis Obispo, California, Wilmington, Ohio, and Winterset, Iowa. All right, now that takes us to the first weekend in August. That's the 6th and 7th. That begins in Atlanta, Texas, followed by Atlanta, Indiana, and Azusa, California, Harvard, Massachusetts, Hayward, Wisconsin, Indian Lake, New York. That's the one I was talking about, Indian Lake, New York. And as soon as they would give it to Josie Wales was the 6th and 7th. So I'm not going to be able to make that one after bugging him forever to get one. And he he did it. He got one, got it on the books. But I won't be able to make it because I've got to leave New York in time to make it to the the Texas Texas Instructors Meeting, which is Saturday, July 30th. All right, that same weekend, August 6th and 7th, is Lewiston, Pennsylvania, Miamisburg, Ohio, Mayaka City, Florida, New Lisbon, Wisconsin, North Berwick, Maine, Pelham, New Hampshire, Racine, Wisconsin, Rainbow, California, Shenandoah, Iowa, Shreveport, Louisiana, Vienna, Ohio, Waterman, Illinois, Keysville, Utah. Well, let's stop right there. We've got uh, we got a month ahead. We'll stop right there. <coughs> and uh, if you need additional information about how to find an event uh, near you, what uh, the locations, etc. Like I said, you can go to rwva.org, look at the tabs across the top, you'll see one that says Appleseed, put your cursor on that, you're going to drop down menu. On the drop down menu, uh, you will see schedule. Click on schedule and that will take you to the page I was just reading from. So, <clears throat> there you go. Uh, now, in just a second, we're going to get into the reading. Like I said, we're going to talk about who fired the first shots. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember, we had Dr. Uh, David Hackett-Fish on uh, a little while back. And he'll be coming on again in the next couple of weeks. But Dr. Fisher was on <laughs> a little while back. And uh, and if you remember, Fred called in, too. That must have been on the – I think that was the virtual muster night. Fred called in, too, and by gosh, he was determined to make Dr. Fisher admit that it was the British that had fired their first shot. And uh, I think that uh, Dr. Fisher avoided uh, uh, saying anything about it, or maybe he just didn't understand what Fred was trying to say. But as we know, uh, the, though there's been a great amount of discussion about who fired the first shot, uh, we do know uh, for a fact that the first shots at Lexington were not fired by any of the guys who were facing each other, right? I mean, that has come out in the depositions made uh, by the the sworn depositions made by folks on both sides. The guys uh, from Lexington 
said, no, it wasn't the troops facing them that fired first. And the troops facing the uh, the Captain Parker's forces said, no, uh, the the rebels immediately in front of us did not fire. Some of them said that uh, the shot came from uh, from a low stone wall and some bushes over by the tavern. Uh, that was seen by a couple of the British regulars. Some of the colonial forces said that they thought that uh, the a mounted British regular had fired the first shot from a pistol. Now, uh, most likely case is that they're both telling the truth that that all of those things happened. That somebody over by the low stone wall, over by the tavern, maybe they had a few drinks and they were going to come out and show somebody what for. And they popped off a shot. Maybe one of the British regulars on horseback. Uh, there was uh, uh, one of the majors there that was mounted on a horse that uh, he couldn't quite control. If you've got a pistol and you've got it cocked and your horse starts bucking, then uh, it's not a stretch of the imagination that you might squeeze the trigger and pop a shot off. Regardless, here's what we do know. We know that in every head-to-head shooting situation that the colonials and the British regulars were in, if it was an equal uh, kind of head-to-head situation, the colonials took today. And why? Why did that happen? Because the British regulars didn't uh, practice with their marksmanship. I mean, they would pop off some rounds, but mainly they were just being taught uh, rapid fire. They were being taught uh, to fire at a fast pace. Their main weapon was the bayonet. They would try and fire a volley to break a hole in the enemy line or to create a certain amount of confusion and anxiety, and they would exploit that with a bayonet charge, and they would run their enemy through. And they were very skilled at that. On the other side, you have the colonials. Now, especially in the beginning, the colonials didn't have bayonets because... Because what were they using for, right? Uh, on the colonial side, you had marksmanship. Because most of the colonials, the reason they had uh, a firearm was to either defend themselves or to put food on the table. And you can't stick a bayonet on the end of a musket and and force or bluff a rabbit into a pot. You've got to actually hit it. And in the cases where you had equal amounts of colonials and British regulars, and they went head-to-head, there were a greater number of casualties on the British side because of you had aimed marksmanship. You had folks who were actually trying to hit what they were aiming at. The British regulars did not even have a, the command of aim in, uh, in their line commands. You had present, which was to raise the musket up to your shoulder and and presumably pointed at the enemy, and you had fire, present and fire. And in a great many cases, what you had <clears throat> was you had present, which was to bring the musket up to your shoulder, <clears throat> and then you had, when given the command to fire, you would uh, squeeze the trigger, a chip of rock, 
a flint rock would snap forward and hit another piece of flat steel, and then as it was hitting it, it would slide down the steel, creating a shower of sparks. Now, when it hit that flat steel in front, that would pop open uh, the pot, the uh, uh, the flash pan there. Inside the flash pan would be a loose pile of gunpowder. So you squeeze the trigger, the hammer snaps forward, it hits an angled piece of metal. As it's sliding down the middle, it's creating sparks that fall into the flash pan, and they ignite a charge of gunpowder. Now that gunpowder ignites. It goes through a hole in the barrel to ignite the main charge of powder, which then propels the ball and any stuffing out of the uh, out of the musket's barrel. Now, that first blast, that first flash, creates a pretty significant little fire. <clears throat> now, if you're a uh, British regular and you've got a wig and a hat on and uh, you you don't want that fire burning your wig and burning your hat or burning your face because it wasn't hard to tell who had been fighting all day long because they would usually have a blackened spot on their cheek where the flash kept going off. In order to prevent that, they would turn their heads away from the flash. Now, if you grab up your rifle, if you're listening to this and you uh, You've got a rifle or a training rifle or something nearby. First of all, make sure it's safe, that it's not loaded, that you're keeping, you're always keeping the muzzle in a safe direction, and uh, <clears throat> then get the rifle, put it up uh, to your shoulder as if you're going to fire. Now turn your head away from the rifle as if you want to protect your face from the flash. What happens? The muzzle climbs. That's right. It climbs up significantly, probably about 100 minutes. <clears throat> that accounts for a great many of the occasions where you, you'll read about the regulars firing a volley, which passed harmlessly overhead. They're given the command, present, given the command to fire. When they fire, they turn their head to the left. The rifle rose, and the volley passed over the heads of the colonist. The colonist answered with aimed fire, which would take down. All right, knowing this, we can use this. We'll take these results and we'll apply it uh, results of April 19, 1775 at the, uh, uh, at the, at Lexington. All right, so what do you have at Lexington? You have, guys shot on the line, and then a great many other folks shot at different places, uh, at different other locations around the green. How many British regulars were shot? Only one. And it's not, uh, from my reading, he wasn't at the front lines, and he was shot in the thigh. So does that tell you that the colonists were standing there aiming at their foe uh, a short 70 yards or so away? And the answer is no, because there is not an occasion where they stood face-to-face, -face, where they didn't knock down more of the enemy than the enemy knocked down of them, because they were using aimed fire. 
Now, granted, in a smoothbore musket, aiming doesn't do you a great deal of good, uh, but it certainly does a lot better than not aiming. I can tell you that right away, because these guys uh, consistently knock down their opponents uh, in greater numbers than they were knocked down when it was an even head-to-head battle. So we know that from that that at Lexington, regardless of who fired the actual first shot, we also know that the first shot was not fired in the colonial line or in the British regulars immediately facing them, those colonials on the line, from sworn depositions from both sides. Now you look at the uh, at the number of killed or wounded, and you can tell that the colonials were not presenting to fire when this went off, or there would have been some dead and wounded uh, British regulars. <clears throat> All right, but who fired the first shot? Well, that that has been argued continuously since that day. <clears throat> so let's get started on some of the possible answers. <clears throat> the literature... Uh, about Lexington is uh, is in volumes and it's and it's unsatisfactory to be honest. Uh, though Fortescue, who is the historian of the British Army, says the question of who fired the first shot is quote really of trifling importance. End quote. It was not thought trifling at the time. Each of the sides hurried to collect testimonials. You know, a better term than evidence was the testimonials that that each side hurried and tried to document. Now, as the Americans were more favorably favorably situated here, they actually won the Battle of the Words and of the Propaganda. We're getting ready to read seven accounts. These are three British and four American accounts. And they give them in the order in which they appeared. Uh, First is an account of the expedition written on April 19th by a British officer. And uh, the officer is probably... Lieutenant John Barker of the King's Own. Uh, next, there's a letter from John Adams, who he wasn't a participant, and he, he wrote it on the same, but he did write it on the same day. A uh, third a letter from General Gage, uh, who actually he brushed the whole thing off as a minor nuisance. Fourth, there's a contemporary letter from a seaman, probably a uh, John Crozier, master of the Emperor of Russia. Uh, to his friend Dr. Rogers of the British Navy. Fifth, an official account of both Lexington and Concord uh, by the Reverend William Gordon of Roxbury, who, this is one of the guys who actually fancied himself as the historian of the Revolution. And next uh, is the anniversary sermon by Reverend Jonas Clark, who, he'd been an eyewitness there and had actually... uh, collected testimony during the year, and finally a deposition deposition made uh, a half century later by one of the participants, Sylvanus Wood. Uh, Interestingly enough, the American account of Lexington and Concord reached England before the British account. Now, we know this because the British account was put together, and then it was put on a, uh, uh, a ship of freight. And this was a large, heavy ship, and uh, and sent off to England. And uh, it sailed, 
And then I believe it was almost uh, a week later that uh, that the Continentals, that the Congress acquired uh, a fast schooner. And they put the letters aboard along with all the testimonies and the depositions, even some from some of the British uh, regulars who'd been fighting. They got their depositions and uh, got everything together, they put it on the, the fast schooner, and sent it out uh, by way of, I believe it came in through either through Scotland or Ireland, and was to be given to the, the mayor of London, who was actually a friend uh, of the colonials at the time. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> we'll begin with the, the letter that's supposed to be from John Barker of the King's Own. This is... Uh, this was given on April 19, 1775. <clears throat> Last night between 10 and 11 o'clock, all the grenadiers and light infantry of the army, making about 600 men under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Smith of the 10th and Major Pitcairn of the Marines, embarked and were landed upon the opposite shore of Cambridge Marsh. Few but the commanding officers knew what expedition we were going upon. After getting over the marsh, where we were wet up to the knees, we were halted in a dirty road, and stood there till two o'clock in the morning, waiting for provisions to be brought from the boats and to be divided, in which most of the men threw away, having carried provisions with them. At two o'clock, we began our march by wading through a very long ford up to our metals. After going a few miles, we took three or four people who were going off to give intelligence. By took, of course, he means that they uh, they made them prisoner, made them march with him. About five miles on this side of a town called Lexington, which lay in our road, we heard there were some hundreds of people collected together intending to oppose us and stop our going on. At five o'clock we arrived there and saw a number of people, I believe between two and three hundred, formed in a common in the middle of the town. We still continued advancing, keeping prepared against an attack, though without intending to attack them. But on our coming near them, they fired one or two shots, upon which our men, without any orders, rushed in upon them, fired, and put them to flight. Several of them were killed. We cannot tell how many, because they were got behind walls and into the woods. We had a man of the 10th Light Infantry wounded, no one else hurt. We then formed on the common, but with some difficulty, the men were so wild they could hear no orders. We waited a considerable time there, and at length proceeded on our way to Concord, which we then learnt was our destination, in order to destroy a magazine of stores collected there. We met with no interruption till within a mile or two of the town, where the country people had occupied a hill which commanded the road. The light infantry were ordered away to the right and ascended the height in one line, upon which the Yankees quitted it without firing, which they did likewise for one or two more successively. All right, let me stop for here real quick and let and so you can set let this sink in. All right, you see, understand where I'm talking about now? When we talk about Concord, we're talking about uh, the meeting that was had at Concord and the what to do at the meeting that was being discussed. And they said, well, we'll go meet on the road, we'll fight in the town, or we'll draw off to the hill and leave the town undefended 
so that they don't fire the town. All right, this is the group that went to meet them. Remember the young men, the Minutemen? And they saw the group coming upon them, and they quitted it without firing. But remember, too, here's what he also says. Is they did likewise one or two more successfully. That means the guys didn't just uh, turn around and march back nonstop. They marched back to the next hill and deployed there. And they were forced off it. They marched back to the next hill and deployed and were forced off that. <clears throat> All right. They then crossed the river beyond the town, and we marched into the town after taking possession of a hill with a liberty pole on it and a flag flying, which was cut down. All right, so one of the first things they did when they crossed into uh, the town was chop down the liberty pole. The Yankees had the the Yankees had the hill, but left it for us. That was the uh, the first hill where they all met. <coughs> They'd all withdrawn from the town. They'd met there on the first hill on the, uh, 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 I can't think of it. Anyway, and they pulled back to their uh, to their training location. But So they were all there on the first hill, then they left. Uh, so the Yankees had the hill, but they left it to us. We expected they would have made a stand there, but they did not choose to it. Well, the grenadiers remained in the town, destroying three pieces of cannon several gun carriages, and about 100 barrels of flour with harness and other things. The light companies were detached beyond the river to examine some houses for more stores. One of these companies was left at the bridge. Another on a hill a quarter mile from that. The other three went forward two or three miles to seek some cannon, which had been there but had been taken away that morning. That's the group that went to Barrett's farm. So you have one group that was left at the bridge, another group a quarter of a mile from the bridge, and then the three companies that went out to Barrett's farm. During this time, the people were gathering together in great numbers, and taking advantage of our scattered disposition seemed as if they were going to cut off the communication with the bridge, upon which the two companies joined, went to the bridge to support that company. The three companies drew up in the road the far side of the bridge, and the rebels on the hill above, covered by a wall. In that situation, they remained a long time, very near an hour. The three companies expecting to be attacked by the rebels, who were about 1,000 strong. Captain Lawry, who commanded these three companies, sent to Colonel Smith, begging he would send more troops to his assistance and informing him of his situation. The colonel ordered two or three companies, but put himself at their head, by which means stop them from being time enough. For being a very fat, heavy man, he would not have reached the bridge in half an hour. There was not a half a mile to it. Now, we know also from reading some history later that this was written in Lieutenant Barker's uh, diary after the fight when when a good, the good group of them were very angry and they were blaming Colonel Smith uh, for most of this. All right, how many in a British regular company? Uh, between 40 and 60, unbridled liberty. Uh, between 40 and 60 men in a company. <clears throat> uh, between, I mean, between 40 and 70 in a British regular company. <clears throat> in the meantime, the rebels marched into the road and were coming down upon us 
when Captain Lowry made his men retire to this side of the bridge, which, by the by, he ought to have done at first, and then he would not have had then he would have had time to have made a good disposition. But at this time he had not, for the rebels were got so near him that his people were obliged to form the best way they could. So what he's saying is that the companies were on the far side of the bridge, and we know this too that they were that <clears throat> that what we've been told, and it doesn't say here Barker actually saw this, if he witnessed this. Or if he got this uh, secondhand later, because it doesn't seem where Barker was stationed during the battle. Uh, from what we've heard, there were two companies uh, on the uh, town side of the bridge and one company uh, across the bridge. As the colonials were marching toward them, uh, a couple of the flankers who were actually down in the riverbed popped off a couple of rounds, and it actually went into the water. And I don't know if these these were warnings or alerts. At that time, the first company came back across the bridge, but there were already two companies in ranks there, uh, so it kind of shoved everybody together. <clears throat> as soon as they were over the bridge, the three companies got one behind the other so that only the front wood could fire. The rebels, when they got near the bridge, halted and fronted filling the road from the top to the bottom. The fire soon began from a dropping shot on our side when they and the front company fired almost at the same instant, there being nobody to support the front company. The others, not firing, the whole were forced to quit the bridge and return toward Concord. Some of the grenadiers met them in the road and then advanced to meet the rebels who had got this side of the bridge and on a good height. But seeing the maneuver, they thought it was proper to retire again over the bridge. The whole then went into Concord, drew up in the town, and waited for the three companies that were gone on, which arrived in about an hour. Four officers of eight who were at the bridge were wounded. Three men killed, one sergeant, and several men wounded. All right? Uh, and so we know that, too, from from the records that four of the eight officers who were at the bridge were shot in the uh, uh, the first volley. There were three men total that were killed, one sergeant, and several men were wounded. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so he doesn't say it out here, but perhaps we'll see it again, but we know that, uh, once again, the at uh, the North Bridge, that the British regulars, fired first in both occasions, once when they fired the warning shots, and two, when they were face-to-face, they fired a volley, and, the, and without orders, once again, they said it was like a, a couple of shots fired at first uh, that, uh, that turned into the sound of a ripping bed sheet, and that most of the rounds went uh, over the heads of the colonials, but we also know that... Uh, Isaac Davis and Private Muzzy were both killed. After getting as good conveniences for the wounded as we could, and having done the business we were sent upon, we sent out to re- for a return. Before the whole had quitted the town, we were fired on from houses and behind trees. And before we had gone a half a mile, we were fired on from all sides, but mostly from the rear, where people had hid themselves in houses till we'd passed and then fired. 
The country was an amazing strong one, full of hills, woods, stone walls, etc., which the rebels did not fail to take advantage of, for they were all lined with people who kept an incessant fire upon us, as we did too upon them, but not with the same advantage. For they were so concealed, there was hardly any seeing of them. In this way, we marched between nine and ten miles, their numbers increasing from all parts, while ours was reduced by deaths, wounds, and fatigues. We were totally surrounded with such an incessant fire as it's impossible to conceive. Our ammunition was likewise near expended. In this critical situation, we perceived the 1st Brigade coming to our assistance. It consisted of the 4th, the 23rd, and 47th Regiments, and the Battalion of Marines with two field pieces, both six-pounders. We had been flattered ever since the morning with expectations of the brigade coming out, but at this time had given up all hopes of it as it was so late in the day. I since heard it was owing to a mistake of the orders, or the brigade would have been with us two hours sooner. As soon as the rebels saw this reinforcement and tasted the field pieces, they retired, and we formed on a rising ground and rested ourselves a little while, which was extremely necessary for our men were almost exhausted with fatigue. In about a half hour, we marched again, and some of the brigade taking the flanking parties, we marched pretty quiet for about two miles. Then they began to pepper us again from the same sort of places, but at rather a greater distance. We are now obliged to force almost every house in the road, for the rebels had taken possession of them and galled us exceedingly. But they suffered for their temerity, for all that were found in the houses were put to death. When we got to Monotomy, there was a very heavy fire. After that, we took the shortcut into the Charlestown Road, very luckily for us too, for the rebels, thinking we should endeavor to return by Cambridge, had broken down the bridge and had a great number of men to line the roads and receive us there. However, we threw them and went on to Charlestown with any great, without any great interruption. We got there between 7 and 8 o'clock at night, took possession of the hill above town, and waited for the boats to carry us over, which came sometime after. The rebels did not choose to follow us to the hill, as they must have fought us upon open ground, and that they did not like. The pickets of the army were sent over to Charlestown, and 200 of the 64th to keep that ground. They threw up by a work to secure themselves, and we embarked and got home very late in the night. Thus ended this expedition, which from the beginning to end was as ill-planned and as ill-executed as it was possible to be. Had we not idled away three hours on Cambridge Marsh, waiting for provisions that were not wanted, we should have had no interruption at Lexington. But by our stay, the country people had got intelligence and time to assemble. We should have reached Concord soon after daybreak, but before they could have heard us, by which we should have destroyed more cannon and stores, which they had had time enough to convey away before our arrival. We, we might also have got easier back and not been so much harassed, as they would not have had time to assemble so many people. Even the people of Salem and Marblehead, uh, over 20 miles off, had intelligence and time enough to march and meet us on our return.
They met us somewhere about monotony, but they lost a good many for their page. Thus, for a few trifling stores, the Grenadier and Light Infantry had a march of about 50 miles going and returning through an enemy's country, and in all human probability must every man have been cut off if the brigade had not fortunately come to their assistance. For when the brigade joined us, there were very few men who had any ammunition at all left, and so fatigued that we could not keep flanking parties out, so that we must soon have laid down our arms or been picked off by the rebels at their leisure. Diary of a British Officer, Atlantic Monthly. <clears throat> all right, so uh, they... Uh, That is the that is the intelligence from the British, and yeah, I'm seeing in the uh, the notes Abner Hosmer. Yeah, you're right. I, I, now that you're saying that, did I say? I think I said Isaac Muzzy. I meant Abner Hosmer <coughs> because uh, it was uh, it was also Hosmer who. Who was the one who asked uh, there on the hill, will we let them burn the town? And I know that there was some relation, but it was a distant one. But it was Abner Hosmer who was uh, shot with Davis. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> uh, now we move on to John Adams. Now, Adams wasn't at the battle. He came later. And uh, and talked to folks and uh, and looked over the sites, etc. But then he returned home and wrote his uh, his evaluation of it. And he wrote this on April nineteenth. Uh, this is a letter written to William Barrell. Yesterday produced a scene the most shocking New England ever beheld. Last Saturday p.m., orders were sent to the several regiments quartered there not to let their grenadiers or light infantry do any duty till further orders upon which the inhabitants conjectured that some secret expedition was afoot, and being on the lookout, they observed those bodies upon the move between 10 and 11 o'clock the evening before last, observing a perfect silence in their march towards a point opposite Phipps Farm, where boats were in waiting that conveyed them over. The men appointed to alarm the country upon such occasions got over by stealth as early as they could and took their different routes. The first advice we had was about 8 o'clock in the morning when it was reported that the troops had fired upon and killed five men in Lexington, previous to which an officer came express to His Excellency Governor Gage. Between 8 and 9 o'clock, a brigade marched out under the command of Earl Percy, consisting of the Marines, the Welch Fusiliers, the 4th Regiment, the 47th, and two field pieces. About 12 o'clock, it was gave out by the general's aide camps that no person was killed, that a single gun had not been fired, which report was variously believed, but between one and two, certain accounts came that eight were killed outright and 14 wounded of the inhabitants of Lexington, who had about 40 men drawn out early in the morning near the meeting house to exercise. The party of light infantry and grenadiers, to the number of about 800, came upon them, ordered them to disperse. The commander of them replied that they were only innocently amusing themselves with exercise, 
that they had not any ammunition with them, and therefore should not molest or disturb them. With answers not satisfying, the troops fired upon and killed three or four. The others took to their heels, and the troops continued to fire. A few took refuge in the meeting, in the meeting house is what they mean, when the soldiers shoved up the windows, pointed their guns in, and killed them there. Uh, Thus much is best account I can learn of the beginning of this fatal day. You must naturally suppose that such a peace would rouse the country, allowed the report to be true, in parentheses. The troops continued their march to Concord. They entered the town, refreshed themselves in the meeting and townhouse. In the later place, they found some ammunition and stores belonging to the country, which they found they could not bring away by reason that the country people had occupied all the posts around them. They therefore set fire to the house, which the people extinguished. They set fire a second time, which brought on a general engagement at about 11 o'clock. The troops took two pieces of cannon from the peasants, but their numbers increasing, they soon regained them. The troops were obliged to retreat towards town. About noon, they were joined by the other brigade under Earl Percy, when another very warm engagement came on at Lexington, which the troops could not stand, therefore obliged to continue their retreat, which they did, with the bravery becoming British soldiers, but the country were in a manner desperate, not regarding their cannon in the least, and followed them till seven in the morning, by which time they got into Charlestown, when they left off the pursuit, lest they might injure the inhabitants. I stood upon the hills in town and saw the engagement very plain. It was very bloody for seven hours. It's conjectured that one half the soldiers at least were killed. The last brigade was sent over the fair in the evening to secure their retreat, where they are this morning, entrenching themselves upon Bunker Hill to get a safe retreat to this town. It's impossible to learn any particulars of the communication between town and country at present is broken off. They were till 10 o'clock last night bringing over their wounded, several of which are since dead, two officers in particular. When I reflect and consider that the fight was between those those whose parents but a few generations ago were brothers, I shudder at the thought, and there's no knowing where our calamities will end. Adams, letter to the Massachusetts Historical Society. All right. So you can see, too, that Adam's letter. Now, as I told you before, when when I'm reading these letters, what you're getting is you're getting the direct out of the mouth, uh, out of their pen, rather, thoughts and beliefs of the folks from uh, their account of the event. Now, we know, of course, uh, by reading overall histories, we know what actually happened. Uh, When you see that... uh, they say that uh, the troops took two pieces of cannon from the peasants, but their numbers increased. They soon regained them. We know that that didn't happen. We know that several things didn't happen here. But that's what Adam's belief was. All right, now, uh, it says this is this is General Gage. This is a letter he wrote to Lord Barrington, the Secretary of War, and this is written on April 22nd, 1775. Now, 
Gage was the commander of all troops. He was the governor of the colonies. <clears throat> so what you're going to hear now is you're going to hear directly out of his mind what he thought of the events, all right? I have now nothing to trouble your lordship with but of an affair that happened here on the 19th instant. I have intelligence of a large quantity of military stores being collected at Concord for the avowed purpose of supplying a body of troops to act in opposition to His Majesty's government. I got the grenadiers and light infantry out of town under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Smith of the 10th Regiment and Major Pitcairn of the Marines with as much secrecy as possible on the 18th at night and with orders to destroy the said military stores and supported them the next morning by eight companies of the 4th, the same number of the 23rd, 47th, and Marines under the command of Lord Percy. It appears from the firing off of alarm guns and the ringing of bells that the march of Lieutenant Colonel Smith was discovered, and he was opposed by a body of men within six miles of Concord, some few of whom first began to fire upon his advanced companies, which brought on a fire from the troops that dispersed the body opposed to them, and they proceeded to Concord, where they destroyed all the military stores they could find. On the return of the troops, they were attacked from all quarters where any cover was to be found, from whence it was practical to annoy them, and they were so fatigued with their march that it was with difficulty they could keep out their flanking parties to remove the enemy at a distance so that they were at length a good deal pressed. Lord Percy then arrived opportunely to their assistance with his brigade and two pieces of cannon, and notwithstanding a continual skirmish for the space of 15 miles, receiving fire from every hill, fence, house, barn, etc., etc., his lordship kept the enemy off and brought the troops to Charlestown, from whence they were ferried over to Boston. Too much praise cannot be given to Lord Percy for his remarkable activity and conduct during the whole day. Lieutenant Colonel Smith and Major Pitcairn did everything men could do, as did all the officers in general, and the men behaved with their usual intrepidity. Correspondence of General Gage, written in Boston on April 22, 1775. So that is uh, what the English government received from Gage. Very dry, very few details, uh, with no real... Uh, and I'm sure it was meant to be that way because he didn't want to. Uh, I'm sure he didn't want to uh, write that that it had gone as bad as it could go, uh, as Barker had written, uh, ill-advised and ill-attempted. Uh, and he tried to make it sound uh, like a very dry after-action report. <clears throat> now, this is. We believe this is this letter to be from John Crozier to a Dr. Rogers, <coughs> and uh, written aboard the Empress of Russia in Boston, April 23rd, 1775. Now, I'm not sure uh, this particular rare letter. I've read it before, but I don't remember the context of it. Let me just read it to you, and you can take your, your own uh, opinion of it. 
written uh, on the Empress of Russia, Boston, April 23, 1775. On the 18th instant, between 11 and 12 o'clock at night, I conducted all the boats of the fleet, as well men of war as transports, to the back of Boston, where I received the grenadiers and light infantry, amounting to 850 officers and men, and landed them on a point of marsh or mudland, which is overflowed with the last quarter flood. This service, I presume to say, was performed with secrecy and quietness, having oars muffled and every necessary precaution taken, but the watchful inhabitants whose houses are intermixed with the soldiers' barracks heard the troops' arms and from thence concluded that something was going on, though they could not conceive how or where they were directed. In consequence of this conception, a light was shown at the top of a church steeple, directing those in the country to be on their guard. Now, this, uh, and this is me talking, not the letter. This was written on April 23rd, 1775. All right, so we know that by April 23rd, four days after the uh, after the events, that they were already aware that the alarm had given been given uh, from the North Church. All right, I'll begin reading again. The intention of this expedition was to destroy some guns and provisions which were collected near Concord, a town 20 miles from where the troops were landed. Colonel Smith, a gallant old officer, commanded the detachment and performed the above service. A firelock was snapped over a wall by one of the country people but did not go off. The next who pulled his trigger wounded one of the light infantry company of General Hodgson's of the King's Own. The fire then commenced and fell heavy on our troops, the militia having posted themselves behind walls and houses and woods and had possession of almost every eminence or rising ground which commanded the long veil through which the King's troops were under the disagreeable necessity of passing in their return. Colonel Smith was wounded early in the action and must have been cut off with all those he commanded had not Earl Percy come to his relief with the 1st Brigade. On the appearance of it, our almost conquered grenadiers and light infantry gave three cheers and renewed the defense with more spirits. Lord Percy's courage and good conduct on this occasion must do him immortal honor. Upon taking the command, he ordered the king's owns to flank on the right and the 27th on the left, the Royal Welch Fusiliers to defend the rear, and in this manner retreated for at least 11 miles before he reached Charleston, for they could not cross at Cambridge, where the bridge is, they having torn it up and filled the town and houses with armed men to prevent his passage. Our loss in this small essay amounts to 250 killed, wounded, and missing. We are at present stepped up in Boston, they being in possession of Roxbury, a little village just before our lines with the Royal and Rebel Centennials within musket shot of each other. The fatigue which our people pass through the day, which I have described, can hardly be believed. Having marched at least 45 miles in the light companies, perhaps 60 miles. The most amiable young man of General Hodson's fell that day, his name Knight, brother to Knight of the 43, 
who was with us at Jamaica. The enthusiastic zeal with which these people have behaved must convince every reasonable man what a difficult and unpleasant task General Gage has before him. Even women had firelocks. One was seen to fire a blunderbuss between her father and husband from their windows, where they three, with an infant child, soon suffered the fury of the day. In another house, which was long defended by eight resolute fellows, the grenadiers at last got possession of, when after having run their bayonets through seven, the eighth continued to abuse them with all the moat like rage of a true Cromwellian, and but a moment before he quitted this world, applied such epitaph as I must leave unmentioned. God of his infinite mercy be pleased to restore peace and unanimity to those countries again, for I never did nor can never think that arms will enforce in obedience there. The number of the country people who fired on our troops might be about 5,000, ranged along from Concord to Charleston, but not less than 20,000 were that day under arms and on the march to join the others. Their loss, we find, to be nearly on a footing with our own. Three days have now passed without communication with the country. Three more will reduce this town to a most unpleasant situation, for their dependence for provision was from day to day on supply from the country. That ceasing, you may uh, conceive the consequences. Preparations are now making on both sides of the neck for attacking and defending. The Hampshire and Connecticut militia have joined, so that the rebel army are now numerous. Collins is well and stationed between Charlestown and the end of this town to assist in the defense. The general and Earl Percy shall have the perusal of your letter. All right. <clears throat> so that was John Crozier to Dr. Rogers. Obviously, uh, uh, it doesn't say that he was employed by the military, but... Uh, he must have been part of the, I guess at the time we would call like a subcontracted seaman, because he was, uh, it says that he was conducting the boats of the fleet at that time. <clears throat> and uh, you can see that not everybody didn't understand what was going on. Obviously, <laughs> obviously quite a few few people did understand what was going on. Let me read you that one line again, too, and what he wrote uh, near the bottom. God of his infinite mercy be pleased to restore peace and unanimity to those countries again, for I never did, nor can now think, that arms will enforce obedience. He didn't think that there was going to be any force of arms they were going to make the colonists become obedient. Now, this is from uh, from someone on the the regular side. <clears throat> All right. Now, uh, the next letter comes from uh, the Reverend William Gordon of Roxbury to a gentleman 
in England. Now, before I read it, <coughs> uh, let me let you know again that uh, you guys are more than welcome to call in and ask any questions or make any comments. We got something we uh, we'd love to hear it. We got another 23 minutes left, so if you're thinking about calling in, you better get a move on. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero is the number. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And if you got something you want to say, then uh, like I said, we'll be glad to take your comment when the uh, when you call in. The call screen will ask you what you want to say, and then it'll put up a quick note for me, and I can read it. So if you want to make a comment or something, if you want to add to something I just uh, read, or uh, if you've got one of your books there on your own, uh, you're welcome to uh, to jump in and read one of these passages. Uh, all right, the call screener put up the uh, the number there in the chat. If you guys want to uh, uh, to call in and uh, have any questions or comments, more than welcome to. Uh, if you want to uh, ask any questions in the chat, you can do that too. I've finally managed to figure out how to use my computer correctly, here, so I've got the screens split up where I can look at uh, all of them at once. So I am reading the chat tonight. Uh, on most occasions, I'm trying to monitor other parts of uh, of the show so I don't get into trouble there. And uh, so I'm not always looking at the chat board, but I figured I'd wait a way to do that now. So you can ask a question in the chat. I'll be glad to answer it, or you can call in 347-308-8790, and uh, I'll be glad to answer any questions or, or let you make any comments you want. <clears throat> All right. Uh, okay. We got uh, somebody. Somebody has taken us uh, by our word and uh, and called in. While they're doing that, <clears throat> I'm just going to read a quick. <clears throat> a quick uh, <clears throat> letter from a Minuteman's account of Lexington. All right. Now, as we know, there were no Minutemen in uh, Captain Clark's uh, company. That the folks at Lexington had a training band, the traditional training band, which put everybody in one group. And uh, but there were other folks that day who weren't from the Lexington training band. There were other folks uh, who were there, and uh, some of the folks were asked by Captain Clark. He, he asked me, he goes, "Hey, would you guys mind, since y'all are here, would you mind standing with us today? To, you know, to give us more men, to give us more of a presence." And they said, "Sure, we will." And uh, so there were more than just the Lexington. Folks uh, that were there. <clears throat> okay, I see. This is Dwarven. So, Dwarven, welcome to the show. Hey, Scout, how you doing? I'm just uh, just great here in my central New York. Uh, I don't know. It seems a little hot right now, but uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be 59 degrees tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. How are you doing? <laughs> Well, it's supposed to be 90 this weekend out in Harvard. Um, you had asked about uh, you had asked uh, if that was a if that was uh, correct that that's a one day shoot, and yes, it is. We've okay, uh, we've been doing several one day shoots this year out at Harvard, 
Harvard Harvard Sportsman's Association likes us, and they basically let us have the uh, let us have several action pits uh, once every month. So we have a shoot there every month. Um, you know, it's, if we get enough shooters, we can just kind of keep growing and taking over more action pits until we can get up to that 100 uh, limit that's on the uh, that's on the event bright. But uh, we 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 started doing doing this as an experiment. We did uh, the shoots on Sundays because we'd had we'd heard several people saying, "Well, you know, I can never make it on a Saturday, and you know, I don't want to miss all the instruction." Um, what was what was stopping them on the Saturdays? Oh, oh, let's see. Uh, one gentleman is a Seventh Day Adventist, so it's the Sabbath for him. Uh, okay, other right, people. Yeah. Work on this at work on uh, Saturdays. You know they've got an offset schedule. Uh, right, just, right. You know, whole bunch of reasons, and it seemed like there was enough of a market out there to uh, to give it a try. Uh, we've got eight pre-registered. Uh, there are two more that are going to be. Si- Actually, there are about four more. I think that are uh, have already told me they're signing up. Um, and you know, as usual, everybody's signing up during the last week ahead of time. So, uh, but uh, no, well, last time we did it, we had I think nineteen, uh, nineteen on the line. Eight or twelve were pre-registered. So, uh, these, well, that uh, sounds like it's going to work out pretty good. I usually have folks saying to me that they can't come on Sundays, and normally it's because of church. And I, you know, I absolutely understand because. When I do the shoots and stuff, I miss uh, at a minimum, uh, you know, one uh, Sunday a month, and even just mm-hmm. for that, I still get to, uh, I still get in trouble from the pastor. Uh, so usually Sunday for me is a day that uh, <clears throat> that folks don't want to come. But uh, either way, you know, the one day events are you know are, are great to be used uh, just for that kind of thing. Now, I thought you were you were talking earlier in the chat about uh, uh, where where the folks at the North Bridge uh, were laid to rest. Yes, <clears throat> Abner Hosmer and uh, I think he was a private, and Captain Davis, uh, along with James Hayward, who was killed at Fisk's Hill later that day, uh, were all laid to rest under a 75-foot obelisk that was erected. I I want to say in the 1860s, uh, it's on Route 27, right smack in the middle of Acton. It's right across from, uh, I believe, the town hall and the library. And I, right, I, right. There's not a whole lot of places to park there. Uh, I parked across the street in, uh, in in the library parking lot and, and hoofed it across there and kind of stood there about two feet from traffic while I was reading the plaque that was uh that was in place there and there was apparently a stone that Davis fell on at the bridge where you know when when he was shot he fell down and uh he was right on top of this stone and the the, the town of Concord took that stone and presented it to Acton when uh when when they put the uh when they put the monument up, and, right? Uh, it was kind of it was 
it was very sobering st- just standing there and realizing that the the guys that I've been talking about for the last for the last couple of years are buried right there in front of me. Uh, it was uh, right, exactly. Yeah, like I, I've told people this many times that you can read about the history, you can read about it uh, day after day, week after week, but it's not going to be the same thing as when you're standing right there on that same ground, that same hallowed ground where it occurred. So I always encourage people to visit these sites. And uh, and I've been there. I was there a couple of years ago. Uh, I walked the trails. I went to uh, all of the locations. Uh, and we spent a, a whole day doing it at uh, Merriam's Corner and uh, the North Bridge <laughs> and uh, the Training Hills. I made all the kids, uh, uh, you know, march with me, and it was a hot day. And even at Lexington, now I think I told you guys that at Lexington, uh, I scared myself half to death because I told my wife, I said, "Look, <clears throat> we're going to try and get a little bit of soil." I don't know. I don't know if anybody else ever tries to do this, so I don't know if uh, we're going to get in trouble or not. I said that we're going to try to do it very discreetly, and. Uh, I actually uh, went over to the graves there, and I was just going to take a tiny bit of soil, uh, like a teaspoonful, to put in my collection. And uh, I moved the grass aside so I could get to the dirt. And and to my horror, I discovered it was all solid coins. And... uh, (laughs) And I, 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 I thought immediately, I said, oh, in my head, it was just immediately the flash of a picture, you know, with apple seed instructors stealing coins from the graves of the men who had fallen at, you know, Lexington. Uh, so I immediately retreated, and we discreetly got some soil from about uh, 100 yards away. And, uh, and then at uh, the North Bridge, I collected, uh, oh, about a gallon and a half of, uh, of water. It had flown uh, that had you know passed under the north bridge and Ooh, and we went to Merriam's corner and i you know I waded across uh, the uh the stinky old creek there and uh and we just had a we it was an absolutely wonderful day and one that you you'll never be able to take that away from the kids now because they have all the history uh that was given to them <clears throat> and I think I told you guys too that uh it's interesting to hear. The history from other people because at Appleseed we pride ourselves on on knowing the history to a T and researching it and being able to tell the story and then you'll hear it from other people when you go there you'll hear it from the the rangers and stuff the history and you know some of it is not so accurate and uh, and some of it is and you'll have to you'll have to make sure you research and find out what it is but I remember at one point uh, the female ranger that was giving the history at the North Bridge was talking about uh, after the Battle at North Bridge that the uh, the colonists became so confused and bewildered that the uh, three companies from Barrett's Farm were able to march by them in their confusion. What? And, uh, yeah, I didn't say anything because, you know, you... You don't say anything to anybody about that, but uh, I did tell her later. I said, you know, I, I heard your story. I said, I was a great story and everything, and uh, she did tell me. She goes, well, it's the first time I ever told it. You know, I just, I'm new here, and it's the first time I told it. 
I said, well, look, there's a book by uh, David Hackett Fisher. That you read that, it's got a lot of great uh, facts and stuff in it. So I'm hoping that she did. They carry it there at the uh, at the at the visitors center by the uh, Old North Bridge. They've got Fisher right, but, there. Uh, They've got quite a few others there. Right, but I'm guessing that she didn't read it because I went back and read it, and I, I saw that Dr. Fisher uh, did not write that they were confused and bewildered. So, <laughs> so hopefully she read it. <clears throat> and I know that. Listen, for all you guys listening, uh, because Dwarven One has uh, made this uh, uh, he, he has made this offer before, and if any of you guys uh, go up to Lexington and Concord that you give Dwarven One a call beforehand and there's a good chance that he can give you a guided tour. Now I'm not speaking out of turn, right, Dorvin? Nope. But if they do it this week if they do it this weekend on sat and come up on Saturday, I'm liable to put them to work helping set up the line for Sunday too. <laughs> well, any other time between besides this Saturday then, actually this Saturday would be good so that you can give him some help. But if any of you guys are up in that uh, neck of the woods, then be sure and contact Dwarven One because he's got a wealth of information about all the locations around there. He can take you to right to the locations. He knows the history of all of them. So uh, if you make a if you decide to make a pilgrimage to uh, to the battle sites there at Lexington, Concord, the North Bridge, or, or anywhere along that route, then be sure and give him a uh, uh, a heads up so that he knows you're on the way. Uh, anything else you wanted to put in? No, just uh, you know, just uh, just wanted to put a plug in for uh, Harvard and you know the uh, as I said the one day shoot and if anybody's planning on uh, heading up uh, heading up this way and they would like to uh, you know attend one of the Appleseed shoots at Harvard. I mean Harvard is maybe 15 miles from Lexington from uh, Concord, I think at most. So it's it's real easy to make a you know, make a weekend or, or even a, you know, make a nice long week of it, you know, come up, spend the week playing tourists, and then cap it off, uh, cap it off in an apple seed shoot. Just, just be careful of our crazy gun laws. That's all I got to warn you about, though. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense there. Yeah, if you guys want to walk around with guns, you're going to have to go over to Vermont. But, uh, in Massachusetts, you got to be a little bit careful. And, uh, I think that would even include uh, walking around with a uh, flintlock. So, so be very careful with your. Make sure that you understand the gun laws and that you adhere to them while you're in Massachusetts. <clears throat> well, thank you, uh, Dwarven One, for all that you are doing in that neck of the woods and for your offer to uh, to guide anybody there. Best of skill with your upcoming shoot, and be sure and. Uh, and write up a good AAR on it so we can read about it. We'll do, we'll do, Scout. Take All right. Care. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. And uh, listen, guys, don't. Uh, I mean, do take him up on that offer because uh, he is more than willing. Uh, he's more than willing to give you guys a great guided tour, and he knows. Uh, he knows of all the local, all the different sites that are around there because there's more than just uh, Lexington Green, uh, Northbridge at Concord. Uh, there is a, a tremendous amount of of sites 
uh, all in that area, and uh, and he knows of all of them. You can go to the South Bridge, and for a lot of you guys may not know that uh, Prescott was one of the folks that was helping uh, that night, Samuel Prescott. Now, his brother was trying to make it back uh, on the same day. He was over at the uh, South Bridge, and he got shot. I believe he got shot in the stomach and and, and took a uh, – I, I can't remember if he died. I don't think he died that day. I think he took a great deal of time to die. <clears throat> But that was at the South Bridge. Now, uh, there are markers all along the way back on Battle Road. And uh, Battle Road is marked, and you can walk almost the the whole distance of it. There are markers all along the way uh, for the British regulars who fell. And uh, I believe we were talking about this just uh, recently when I was talking to Benjamin Smith from... Patriots of the American Revolution magazine. And make sure that you guys that are looking for more information, make sure you subscribe to that magazine and uh, and let them know that... Uh, uh, make sure you know that... Uh, they know that uh, you're part of Appleseed and you are subscribing to the magazine uh, and that you appreciate the fact that they... Uh, have been running a full-page ad in there, uh, and yeah, let me look. Uh, I see in the uh, in the chat that there is a trigger lock on the musket, uh, which hanging up there. I know that's uh, th- there's no trigger lock on it. I know that there's been talk about that, but there's there's no trigger lock on it. But they were saying that it could happen with the with uh, new and additional laws that are being passed, uh, et cetera. And I know also uh, that there was no lock on, was it uh, in Dwarven 1, maybe you remember, if uh, that there was one of the muskets hanging on the wall in Buckman's Tavern. Is it in there? Because I remember... I think I remember talking to Fred, and he was talking about walking over there. I don't think he did this. I think he was just thinking about doing it, walking over there and cocking the, the musket that uh, was just hanging up there on the wall. <clears throat> but uh, but there are very serious laws that you need to acquaint yourself with while you're in Massachusetts, so make sure you do that. All right, uh, real quickly, let me uh, let me read one of the last letters here, and uh, this is... A, from uh, Sylvanus Wood, and uh, he was from Woburn, and uh, a Minuteman there. But he ended up on uh, Lexington Green with uh, Captain Parker's men. Uh, this is his deposition, <clears throat> and uh, I believe this was this deposition was made uh, on June seventh, eighteen twenty-six. All right. I, Sylvanus Wood of Woburn, in the county of Middlesex and Commonwealth of Massachusetts, age 74 years, do testify and say that on the morning of the 19th of April, 1775, I was an inhabitant of Woburn, living with Deacon Obadiah Kendall, that about an hour before the break of day on the said morning, I heard the Lexington bell ring, and fearing there was difficulty there, I immediately arose took my gun, 
and with Robert Douglas went in haste to Lexington, which was about three miles distance. When I arrived there, I inquired of Captain Parker, the commander of the Lexington Company, what was the news. Parker told me he did not know what to believe, for a man had come up about a half hour before and informed him that the British troops were not on the road. But while we were taking, while we were talking rather, a messenger came up and told the captain that the British troops were within a half mile. Parker immediately turned to his drummer, William Diamond, and ordered him to beat arms, which was done. Captain Parker then asked me if I would parade with his company. I told him I would. Parker then asked me if the young man who was with me would parade also. I spoke to Douglas, and he said he would follow the captain and me. By this time, many of the company had gathered around the captain at the hearing of the drum. Where we stood, which was about halfway between the meeting house and Buckman's tavern, Parker says to his men, Every man of you who is equipped, follow me. And those of you who are not equipped, go into the meeting house and furnish yourselves from the magazine and immediately join the company. Parker led those of us who were equipped to the north end of Lexington Common, near the Belford Road, and informed us there in single file. I was stationed about in the center of the company. While we were standing, I left my place and went from one end of the company to the other and counted every man who was paraded, and the whole number was 38 and no more. Just as I had finished and got back to my place, I perceived the British troops had arrived on the spot between the meeting house and Buckman's, near where Captain Parker stood when he first led off his men. The British troops immediately wheeled so as to cut off those who had gone into the meeting house. The British troops approached us rapidly in platoons with a general officer on horseback at their head. The officer came up to within about two rods of the center of the company. Where I stood, the first platoon being about three rods distant, there they halted. The officer then swung his sword and said, Lay down your arms, you damned rebels, or you are all dead men. Fire! Some guns were fired by the British at us from the first platoon, but no person was killed or hurt, being probably charged only with powder. Just at this time, Captain Parker ordered every man to take care of himself. The company immediately dispersed, and while the company was dispersing and leaping over the walls, the second platoon of the British fired and killed some of our men. There was not a gun fired by any of Captain Parker's company, within my knowledge, I was so situated that I must have known it, had there been, had any of the kind taken place before a, a total dispersion of our company. I had been intimately acquainted with the inhabitants of Lexington, and particularly with those of Captain Parker's company, and with one exception, I never heard of any of them say or pretend that there was any firing at the British from Parker's company, or any individual in it, until within a year or two. One member of the company told me many years since that after company, Parker's company had dispersed and he was at some distance, he gave them the guts of his gun. Given by Sylvanus Wood, June 17, 1826. All right. That is going to do it for us for tonight. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening. 
And uh, be sure and check the Appleseed Radio section of the forum because I'm going to post there uh, in the next uh, week. I'll post the the next month or so of guests and uh, and stuff. So we'll look for you again this next week, uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Thank you all. God bless all and good night.